Welcome to Money and Meaning, a podcast where we connect with people around the world who are working to unlock the power of markets for impact. I am Chris Ategeka, Senior Content Director for SOCAP Global. This podcast series is hosted by SOCAP Global and the Sorensen Impact Center. SOCAP Global convenes the largest and the most diverse community in impact through live and digital experiences that educate, spark conversations, and inspire investment in positive impact. We work under the leadership of the Sorensen Impact Center, which helps organizations achieve their impact vision. The center is proudly housed at the University of Utah's David Elko's School of Business. Each episode of Money and Meaning features stories of amazing people who are leveraging the power of capital markets for the betterment of people and planet in a just and sustainable way. You'll hear conversations like this at SOCAP 23 our next flagship event held in October 2023 in San Francisco. As a podcast listener, you can save $50 off the current ticket price with the code MONEYMEANING23. That's all caps, M-O-N-E-Y-M-E-A-N-I-N-G-2-3. Register at SoCapGlobal.com. We hope to see you there. This episode of Money and Meaning features a conversation at SOCAP 22 with innovators and investors bringing secularity to the fashion industry. You'll hear about the challenges and the opportunities from Carla Mora of Alante Capital, Stacy Fruitman of Style with Substance Ventures, Myra Arshard of Alttex and Catherine Watsman of Amplify Capital. Enjoy the conversation. I'm Catherine Watsman. I'm managing partner of an impact fund based in Canada called Amplify Capital. We invest in climate, health, and education technologies. Um, deep tech software runs the gambit, and all of our investments have double bottom line uh, results and large ambitions. Um, I'll leave it there. I'll turn it over to Myra. Hi, everyone. I'm Myra. I'm co-founder and CEO of Alttex. We're also a Toronto-based company. We're a biomaterial startup, and we're essentially creating a more circular, biodegradable alternative to polyester that's re-engineered from food waste. So as you guys will learn as this panel goes on, fashion is one of the most polluting industries on the planet, and one of the core elements to that is something that 60% of this room is wearing today, which is polyester and other synthetics. So we're trying to really radically reimagine the way they're created by using the world's largest landfill source, which is food waste, and using it to create our textiles. Carla, over to you. Cool. Hi, everyone. My name is Carla Mora, and I'm the founder and managing partner of Alante Capital. Um, Alante Capital started in 2016, uh, and we are a VC fund investing in a circular and sustainable future for the textile industry. We are systems change funds, so we don't invest in any of brands themselves, but really look at what are the critical 
technologies that need to exist to really truly enable circularity for an industry, including amazing biomaterials like this one, um, dyes, chemistries, all the way through resale and recycle. We're early stage investors, um, pre-seed, seed, Series A, um, and we're based in California. Nice, Stacy. Hi everyone, I'm Stacy Fruitman. Uh, my company is Style with Substance, and I invest in innovations, technologies, and brands that help reduce the environmental impact of the fashion industry. Uh, I'm an angel investor, although I always say I don't like that term. I feel like the entrepreneurs are the angels. Uh, but I, I love working with entrepreneurs, and I do a lot of advisory and do what I can to help support the ecosystem as it absolutely needs to change. You'll hear more about that during this panel. Great. And maybe before I start, I'll just add a little bit more of the connections up on stage here. So uh, Amplify Capital is an investor in Alltechs, and uh, Stacy is an advisor to uh, Amplify Capital. Carla and I have yet to make a co-investment, investment together, but we will probably one day. Um, but we we talk a lot about uh, investments in this space. So the four of us... Um, have relationships beyond beyond this stage. And I'm an advisor with Alante. And yeah. you're an advisor with <laughs> Alante. Thank connected. you for adding that in. Um, okay. So before we get into some uh, opportunities and potential threats and, and what's happening in the space, I wanted to talk a little bit um, about the problem. And the uh, there's, there's textile... Circularity textiles is is a nice way of putting um, the problem with textile waste and textile production. Um, textile production accounts for 1.2 billion tons of CO2 annually and contributes to 20% of global water pollution. It's hard to tackle climate and decarbonization without bringing in textiles into the equation. Overproduction, use of toxic chemicals and metals, overconsumption, complex manufacturing and supply chains uh, really cause this immense amount of waste from beginning to end. And unfortunately, 73% of textiles end up in landfill or are incinerated. So with that depressing start, <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's talk about the opportunities. So over to you, Stacy. You've been investing in this space for quite a while. How have you seen the landscape evolve and any particular trends that you're excited about today? Okay, thanks, Catherine. Uh, for me, I was not, uh, I never thought I'd be investing. Uh, it, it, I actually became an advisor at the Mars Catalyst Fund at the time, and thankfully, Catherine was actually the first inve investor that saw fashion as part of clean tech. So thank you for that. Uh, and when I met uh, various companies, basically anything to do with fashion was sent to me. And when I when we met various uh, fashion companies in Toronto-based incubators and accelerators, they just were not ready for VC. So. That's when I started to invest. Um, my first investment was in uh, 2017. And at the time, there were really, there wasn't as much activity. There was definitely a need. Uh, but I was inspired by activity and innovations happening more in Europe. And that's where I thought that this could be possible. Uh, I've seen a tremendous change over the past number of years. Um, there are a lot more funds that are 
open to investing. There are certainly a lot more uh, new innovative companies. So for exa an example, I invested very early in a fit tech company and quickly learning that maybe that was early. We'll see what happens. I hope everything succeeds. But now there's, I mean, Carla could tell you, she, she did a whole landscape mapping of all the types of fit companies out there. And this was a couple of years ago. So uh, there's all of that happening. I think that one thing became very apparent, apparent to me early on is when I, um, my, my husband's best friend is a third generation uh, recycling, uh, textile recycler, and he took me on a tour in 2016. And I couldn't believe what I saw and also about how recycling has changed. Uh, so I think that over the past number of years, there has been a tremendous, a tremendous um, amount of investment and research in recycling technology. Uh, so that's where we're seeing a lot, a lot more money. So I'm going to push you a little bit more. You're talking yeah. about recycling technology, but any and and fit technology. Can you elaborate a little bit on current trends that maybe that you're looking at right now and what's new today versus when you started? Well, personally, in I'm I'm holding right now. Okay, <laughs> but Carla can maybe talk yeah. about more what she's looking at. Uh, but I've I've. Uh, seen, I mean, I think material science is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll what something that. like Altex and she'll be, and uh, Myra will talk more about that. I think that's really, really exciting. I mean, I'll talk about my more recent investments. Um, I, I think that, you know, the digitization of, of the entire you know, supply chain, um, there's so much room there. Uh, the, I've invested in circular uh, programs like uh, resale. I think we're a little bit later in that, but there's some really exciting activities happening. Um, but I think Carla's, Carla's looking at a much broader landscape right now. I'm just trying to take a breath. Okay. Because I've been very active you in this have. space for this fun past <laughs> number have. of years. Yeah, you're definitely probably the most active investor in sustainable textiles. So well done. I have hard time. And I, part time. I, I, love, I, I love all these <laughs> entrepreneurs that I meet, I'll be honest. And uh, they're doing such great work. And But now I'm letting, listen, more investors, more sophisticated and institutional types of investors are coming in. So anytime yeah. I come in now, it's because they're already... You know, they're already put, putting the money in, and it's, um, you know, for me, it's not as risky. So we're getting climate tech investors coming in earlier. Yes. And you're, the technology is getting more sophisticated. Yes. Okay. So over to you, Carla. As an investor, when did you first see the market pull for the sustainable circular product? Um, well, I first started working on the concept for Alante in 2016 because I saw big apparel companies, the ones you wouldn't expect to care about sustainability. It wasn't, you know, Patagonia, Eileen Fisher, it was Levi's and The Gap and the North Face and VF Corporation signing these sustainability agreements, actually beginning to work with startups. That's what led me down the rabbit hole of due diligence. I was looking at a company in our ags portfolio and Levi's was working with them. And, um, you know, early in my career working in supply chain reform in the coffee sector, it was always critical for me to see pull in from the leaders of the industry, the leading corporates of the industry, um, because they had huge power to resist change. So if they were looking for change, that was a, a monumental shift. And I wanted to ensure that the innovation that we were bringing could have an intersection between sustainability and profitability. And so that 
was the ignition point for me to launch this fund, 2016. We really got it off the ground 2017, actually initially partnering with corporates to understand their challenges, understand their limitations. What is the price point of an incumbent new material need to look like within the time frame? Um, you know, things like that, that only they could really tell us. So that's, that was huge. You know, we saw it from a consumer perspective in food and ag and clean beauty. Like we knew there was appetite, but really this is a big giant global supply chain that's completely dependent on, you know, just a few fibers that, you know, changing climate was going to be impacting the cotton sector. That just happened a few months ago. And Better Cotton Initiative cotton was, a lot of it was wiped out in Pakistan due to floods. Like that greatly impacts the margins of these companies that are dependent on cotton and they need alternatives. And so um, we really looked at it from this like global economic perspective of this is an industry in need. Let's make sure the need can be done in the right way and have transformative. It's an opportunity for transformative change. So is the brand pull coming from the risk of those input resources? So you talked about cotton at risk yeah. of being flooded. Or is the demand coming from, like it's certainly not government yet. Yeah. But I, where is it coming from? I mean, I think the government is actually starting. Like I remember in 2018, 2019, microfiber pollution was discovered um, through partnership uh, in, at, with the university, and there was a, it was actually in Santa Barbara, which is where I'm based. So I got to attend, and I saw these big brands from around the world flew in with these top scientists to understand like what does this mean? What does this mean for legislation? What does this mean? You know, now they're looking for biodegradable alternatives to synthetic fibers like Altex because microfiber pollution could potentially there could be legislation around it. It's a huge problem. Um, so there is a threat of government legislation that has driven a lot of demand. Um, there is some actual legislation that has happened. Customers, you know, I'm a very altruistic and optimistic person, but um, it's pretty risky to assume that customers will buy something because it's sustainable alone. Uh, so when we're investing, we always look for something that can also compete on quality and eventually on price. Um, and to do that, it, it makes it complex, but but there's a lot out there to do that. So I don't know if that. Okay, so resource me. reliability, threat of government mm -hmm. uh, requirements, and then there's a huge demand to be innovative, and like we have the job the to tie innovation demands. to sustainability. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lots of apparel companies didn't think about resale, for example, as sustainability initially. They saw it as customer acquisition strategy thinking about how do we get a younger demographic of customer to buy my product who might not be able to afford the you know, un new product. Um, and so we're able to show kind of more of those interlinkages of how software solutions can start to drive sustainability too. How do we think about optimization and decreasing waste, tying in you know, not overproducing massive amounts of do more demand-driven manufacturing. And now like their appearance of being innovative is also a driving so many brands into this space looking at like who can I work with so I can look cool too. So you didn't mention the customer. Yeah. So is the customer, there's a huge, yeah. what's going on there? I mean, there's a huge customer and there's, uh, you know, the customer is, is growing. It's just, I think I was burned pretty bad in my early career from an optimism standpoint. I was working in the coffee sector with the UN and we were looking at making fair trade and organic coffee cost competitive. Um, and we had this great tool. It was a science-based tool that we created. And we're doing this huge work. And it was the leader of 
practice of industry at the time that actually blocked it. They would block all the third-party verification of their own labels. And so, you know, for us, it was just, for me, it was just this moment where, like, okay, it can be driven by customer because the customers were really demanding it. And a lot of things just got blocked because the companies weren't ready to adopt. And so I can't look at that alone. Um, Because, you know, greenwashing is a big risk. If people start to not trust something as sustainable and they're only buying it for that altruism, that might dry up. And this is is much bigger than that. Okay. We're going to come back to you and more about Alante, but I want to get to Myra. So, um, Myra, Altex, using advanced and synthetic biology to enable the food waste to convert to a polyester substitute and then biodegrade at the end of life is pretty amazing. Uh, Even better, the ability to produce this at a potential cost parity um, is fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about the role of synthetic biology in circularity? Yeah, so I think when it comes to just the fashion problem in general, or really when you're evaluating any problem, you want to get to the root of it, right? And the root of, or one of the pillars of of the issue with lack of sustainability in fashion is synthetics. And in order for you to replace synthetics, you have to recreate them with uh, equal performance in a more sustainable way. Um, And although we have all of these natural fabric substitutes like bamboo fibers and organic cotton and so forth, synthetic biology is really the only way we're going to get to recreating the polymers we're so used to, but doing them in a more sustainable way. Um, So there's a couple different components here that kind of mesh together. One, we know that biomaterials and bioplastics are on the rise, right? We're we're drinking out of compostable cups right now. We've used compostable cutlery for lunch. Well, we haven't quite figured out how do we take these compostable polymers, the technology for which has already been established, and how do we enhance that technology synthetically or biologically to put it into the clothes we're wearing when they're also created from the same plastic that has replaced, you know, the forks and knives we've used. So in terms of synthetic biology, it's really, again, thinking about how do we create those same polymers so that they can equate to polyester today so that we can plug it into polyester's existing supply chain. Um, to the points that were made here previously, consumers are not going to buy this material if it's a niche one-off or if they can't get it again when they're in store or if it doesn't doesn't match performance. So in order for us to match the scale and performance of polyester, you need to use the same system that polyester uses. So synthetically creating that polymer to plug into polyester's existing system to tie into the points that were made previously, it gives the performance that consumers are used to. It does it at a cost that is slightly higher than what consumers are used to, but still within the research that we see. Um, But more importantly, brings that sustainability piece uh, because, again, it's been engineered to biodegrade. I just want to highlight the plug-and-play, the drop-in ability of the Altex material and how we're looking at, as, a, as an investor, how we're seeing the landscape change for opportunities in sustainable textiles. Before we saw Altex, I don't know how many deals we looked at, at least 100 in this space, where so many of them required their own manufacturing equipment um, and had to be produced in their own unique plant, which is very capital intensive and, and expensive. When we saw Altex was able to extract the yarn on existing Yarn manufacturer, yarn extraction, uh, fabric manufacturing systems, it became uh, the cost curve completely changed, and uh, it made Altex investable. 
And we're seeing now with synthetic biology and with uh, these new innovations, we're seeing more and more companies like Alltex being able to, we see the light where we can see a sustainable product that is uh, at cost um, parity with, with what's out there on the market today. So, you know, from an opportunity perspective, it's, it's the future's looking good. Future's looking really good um, because of the innovations, because of the brand pull, um, and and the evolution of the space. Uh, okay, so let me move on to the next topic, which is ESG. So really, you know, moving towards um, circularity in textiles is really about making an impact in climate. Uh, that's that's really the focus. But ESG plays a role too. When we talk about manufacturing textiles, there's a whole um, uh, production um, component that often happens in third world countries, developing countries, and overseas. So, you know, Myra, I'll turn back to you. What's the role of, you know, ethics, labor sustainability um, in textile manufacturing? You know, it's, it, it, it's not the same thing as the environment piece, but, you know, is it important? I, I say that rhetorically. <laughs> <laughs> it is very important. Uh, yeah, so I this this is a little bit closer to my heart. The reason that I got into this industry is because I have a family background in textile manufacturing back home in Pakistan. So I am more aware, aware than I think the average consumer would be as to how poorly the people who are making our clothes are living their lives. And so I truly believe if we can't be kind to our people, we can't be kind to the planet. Um, and the numbers show that, right? So for instance, sustainable fashion has been growing at 12.6% CAGR between, I think, 2022 and 2020, or will up to 2050 or something like that. Uh, but more excitingly, ethical fashion is growing about 16 to 18%. So consumers have a huge need for transparency, and sustainability is a component of that, but you can't be sustainable if you're not ethical. The way in which we're trying to instill that in Altex is a few different things. Number one, hyper-transparency. One of the reasons that our research is taking so long and will continue to be a long process is because we refuse to use processes, chemicals, methods that are going to be harmful to people or the end product, which means no leaching of toxic chemicals either during the process or while you're wearing it. Um, and then being very transparent when we don't hit the mark where we are today and where we expect to be. The second way that we're doing it is trying to create a roster of stakeholders that can support us. So our investors are the same people that we will be producing this material with. We have investment from some of the largest textile manufacturers in the world, and they use sustainable blockchain technology to, tra to essentially trace the manufacturing of this material. So really creating a system out of it and getting the right stakeholder control to ensure that we're not just creating a product, but really creating a change in expectations uh, from uh, of the industry from the inside out. Um, yeah, I'll leave that there, but that's kind of how we're approaching it. That's great. So when we think about circularity, we're not only thinking about circularity in terms of the land, but also circularity maybe as we treat people. You know, how can we treat people um, in the entire supply chain, not just from the manufacturing perspective, but from the people uh, and other resources as well. Um, so totally agree. At Amplify Capital, and I think also you at Elante, we really use the B Corp to help companies who aren't yet understanding, you know, how to be use best practices in um, environment, social, and, gover and governance 
um, uh, to create policies to uh, to promote a, a sustainable workforce, a healthy workforce, safe workforce, etc. And so, on the governance side, though, you know, governance plays a, a big role um, in responsible and ethical fashion. Um, Stacy, we were talking earlier about bringing a number of um, uh, thinking about governance and how products are uh, created in the first place. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, about uh, you know what needs to happen to to create that greater that circularity from the beginning? Okay. Uh, so in terms of governance, uh, well, you, you were talking about um, the design, you yeah, know, collaboration so, on design. Okay, so we were talking about design. Okay, for sure. Um, so I came into this from being in the green building industry for 10 years. Uh, we're, I was with the largest condominium developer in the country and brought LEED to Canada. And what was really inspiring to me um, was really understanding the design process of some of these new products and especially uh, the product interface and learning more about cradle to cradle. And this was back in the mid-2000s. And also saw that... In fashion, we could think design is, you know, designing of this blouse. But design is the process of design. So at this point, it's designing for uh, the future of the product or the next uh, level of use. So we could talk about um, designing for, okay, if someone, if someone decides that they don't want to use this product anymore, what else can happen? Can it be recyclable? Can it be reusable? Uh, what are the programs that could be put in place? And what we were talking about from more of a corporate governance is that uh, when we talk about uh, design thinking, it's just, it, it shouldn't just be the fashion designer. It really has to be so many different uh, stakeholders within the corporation. And also, I want to say the supply chain. Uh, so again, working in the green building industry, I, an example I have is uh, we did this eco-suite and really getting down to things like grout. And at the time, there was a lot of chemi chemicals in grout. But reached out to the supplier and asked that person, you know, do you have grout that's a little bit better for the environment? And the supplier is one who was very, very excited about that. He said, actually, I did see something at a trade show in Germany, and I've been asking all these developers in Canada to use it. So I'm really excited. And then when we spoke about that, I said, well, we're going to do a model suite. Um, maybe they'll, they'll test it, and then if it works, we can use it across the board. So getting, that, getting the suppliers involved, that's the point of the story, you, we might learn so much more and help along the way. And even things about like costs, for example. So this example with grout, Yes, it was going to be very expensive, but if we can give the volumes, and if these big brands can give the volumes, then you can get a better cost, and we can ideally not pass that cost along to the consumer or, you know, pay, pay workers less. Um, so that, that's the thought about uh, circular design, that not only to bring in you know, finance, um, you know, bring in uh, your operations people, bring in a whole spectrum of people in the corporation, but also to think through um, the before, like down to source two, source three, and also even the afterlife, or the next life, I should say, of the garment and bringing those, those people into the mix when, when designing. It's not just the finished product. 
it's, it's not just what people typically people think fashion design they think the fashion think design show. of the, which there is that aspect to it too and the last thing i'm going to say is fashion is an extremely creative art mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so when you give someone in design or a creative person a challenge they'll get excited they should they likely will get very excited about that right so if the challenge is find a cool bio fabric wow okay let me learn more i just want to state that um, I think that there's a lot of conversations to have across the board and we should be very open-minded uh, to, to hear some more opportunities and, um, and to solve the solutions. Great. That leads me right back to Carla and um, more back to, or sorry, back to the supply chain. You know, can you walk us through uh, Alante's investment lens and sure. themes? That'd be great. Yeah, so um, we have a circular vision for the industry that is a lot on the supply chain, but it goes all the way around. So I'll, I'll kind of walk you through what it is from an investment standpoint. Like, what are the opportunities we're seeing? So I actually chose fashion because of the complexity it takes to make a single product. I was in the food system before, and I love supply chain. I love that you can affect change across the way production happens through all of these different channels. And in fashion, you know, there's tons happening in materials. Um, so it's, you know, the materials, it's dye. That's a huge area of opportunity. N- enormous negative impacts happen because of the dye space. So it's dye, um, you know, finishing chemistries so that our products don't wrinkle or don't stain or all the things that we like. Those are heavily chemically intensive areas of opportunity uh, for better, better chemistries. Um, you know, then going into like the designer, like we already talked about, now there's all these design tools for designing for disassembly, designing for swapping out different sustainable materials or looking at near sourcing your, your products. So actually looking at like if you choose to, to source from this supplier, what does that do to your life cycle assessment of the final product, which is how the apparel industry um, can, looks at their environmental impact. There's so many different opportunities that are all equal to investments. And then once something has been designed, how is it sold? There's a lot happening in this point of sale moment right now, especially as everybody was just pushed online during the pandemic. Um, the, the amount of returns is just staggering. And one thing I didn't know is that a lot of companies don't have the reverse logistics set up to take those returns and put them back in to be sold. So you order three pairs of jeans to try them on at home, you return two, and they're just waste. Like, that is insane. And, um, you know, the brands, the way that they budget that is it's a loss. They have losses coming off of their supply chain that they've already budgeted for. So this is a write-off. Like, they expect that there's going to be a certain amount of boxes that come off your supply chain that are wet and therefore damaged, damaged product. So they're not thinking about the efficiency opportunity there, but now they are because there's all these digital solutions that come on at point of sale like fit technology, but there's others um, that get better understanding of your customer so that they can buy the right thing the first time, less returns, but also there's all these insights so that future product that they're creating can be made for the bodies of the people wearing them. Um, So that's a huge opportunity for right-sizing production that will have massive sustainability outcomes and economic outcomes. Like they can make a lot better money if they're not having to put so much off to a loss. Um, And then, you know, once something's in your closet, well, first of all, it has to get to you. So shipping, packaging, we've invested in some cool things there. Poly bags, those tiny thin film bags that all your clothes show up in. Um, We invested in a seaweed-based packaging company that's based out of Berkeley, actually. It's really cool. They um, can 
use pre-existing plastic manufacturing equipment, similar to what Altex was talking about, this is what makes it scalable. Um, so there's opportunity there, and then you get the product in your closet, and we all are, you know, do this, where we have all this clothes we never wear. So how can we get that back into circulation? How can you buy used, be, partake in rental, if you are not gonna use that gala dress often, maybe we rent it. Um, you know, there's just a lot of opportunities there from a business and personal perspective um, of the use phase. How do we use things many, many times? And then ultimately, once things have no more utility value left, how are they recovered and recycled? And so that is a whole supply chain in itself that we've invested in. It's super exciting. There's some areas that are maybe not VC investable, but other types of capital, and some that are absolutely VC investable. We invested in one that is um, breaking down your old clothes. Um, they can take poly cotton blends and other fibers, break it down all the way to a molecular level, separate, and get those back into the market. Uh, and, and they're scaling now with some really exciting investors on board. So all of those areas, I mean, that is a circular economy for the fashion industry. And every single step has so many startups right now. We have about 550 in our pipeline that fit just that framework in the pre-seed, seed, and series A stage. So this is just an exploding space. Great. So the, it's exploding, tons of opportunities, um, technology, chemistry, all text is raising right now. Um, so companies are raising the clothes. We're still wearing clothes last I checked, yeah. hopefully for a while. <laughs> and despite the recession, looming recession, whatever, we're still, <laughs> we're still wearing clothes. And, um, okay. I want it. We still have a few minutes left before I turn it over to Q and A. Um, Myra, I want to come back to the, uh, the role of government and policies. What are you seeing? Like what would help you as a founder, um, and what do you think is good for the planet? Yeah, I think with any industry we've seen, I think like the, the most scalable way to for something to change is for it to come down from the government in the form of policy. But unfortunately, in the fashion ecosystem, that's very, very limited. We're seeing the government move extremely slowly when it comes to mandating some of these changes. But what's exciting is that consumers aren't moving as slowly as the government is. Um, there is, you know, there's different stats you can slice the data in, in, in a variety of different ways. But the reality is that consumers are connected to clothing more than they're connected to really any other product you can buy, right? And so we're seeing more and more conscious consumerism that's, go, that's essentially instilling and dictating some of this change. So what that kind of rise in conscious consumerism is doing, one stat, for instance, is that 60% of consumers under the age of 40 indicated they would, weigh, they would pay a 50% or more premium for sustainable alternatives. There's a bunch of stats like that floating around, independent studies that have been created, but the, but the point is that that pressure is forcing brands themselves to create their own mandates, to create their own accords, their own essentially industry standards that are holding themselves accountable for some of these sustainable, essentially, next steps. An example of that is the Fashion Accord. Another example is the Fashion Act that was signed during the G7 summit that has essentially held these brands, a third of the industry, accountable to hit carbon neutrality by 2050. So there's a lot of like self-governance happening where these brands see, number one, the opportunity because there's a lot of cash in sustainable fashion. But number two, they see the punishment in not following those sustainable trends. Um, the other aspect of that is although there's, you know, this fear around greenwashing, you know, I'm, I'm sure many of us know H&M got sued recently for their conscious collection and, and so forth. 
But the risk of greenwashing is not as strong as the risk of not taking any action at all. Because what I'm seeing from my research is that when you tell consumers what you're doing well and what you're not doing well and how you're going to get to the position of, of doing better, that transparency in like the delta is more powerful than not doing anything at all in, in action. Um, so essentially, I'll just kind of wrap that up with saying not enough government movement. We're seeing some bills. There's a bill in, in, in New York called the Fashion Act. There's some policy in, in the EU, uh, but not, not enough of it. And it's really going to be um, kind of collective action by the fashion industry that's going to make this change less and less optional. Okay, great. So I'm going to wrap it up with just a few takeaways from our panel and what we want you to to think about, and then I'm going to open it up to questions. So maybe I'll pass it on to you, Stacy, to give a final thought before Q and A. Okay. My final thought, because I don't think I don't think I mentioned this, I just want to say that I think the huge, huge opportunities the digitization of the space uh, that that is going to lead to tremendous efficiencies. There is so much waste. I'm not going to bore you with the details. You could Google it. There's so much waste in this industry and before it even gets to the consumer. So if we could start to, I think the lowest hanging fruit is to um, create efficiencies in inventory and that's going to be through new digitized systems. A lot of brands are looking into this. I, I think that's going to be um, the greatest uh, impact uh, that's going to happen. Um, to really reduce waste and to create, again, like I said, e efficiencies across the spectrum. Great. Carla? If you care about investing in circular economy, I think you got to look at industry um, and specific industry-specific funds and um, sectors is a really good opportunity to learn the nuance of what's needed within circular economy. But what we talked about today could really be replicated across most industries. Um, and it's a really exciting space. So for the investors out there who care about uh, circular economy investing, get beyond the product, the brand, like the circular brand that you're looking at, and get into the supply chain. It sounds scary, but it's the most fun. So <laughs> That's great. Myra? Yeah, my, my final thought is kind of similar to that, where um, I talk to brands and investors every single day. and less and less of them are, I guess more and more of the conversations are more direct and less superficial. So we're not talking about like, hey, what are you doing in this space? It's how can I invest in you? How can I get involved? And this is not just investors investing. These are fashion brands investing. These are the producers investing. And so I just want to highlight that really the only way to tackle the systems change that both Stacey and Carla talked about is by bringing those folks into the system, right? Like we're a materials company, we're trying to operate in the system, but we can't do that if the key stakeholders are not integrated with us and have vested interest. Um, and so uh, there's that. And then just the final thing I want to end on is the amount of appetite out there is just like anecdotally speaking, the amount of brands we speak with and the types of brands we speak with that are not sustainable fashion brands is absolutely insane. The yeah. stats reflect it and just like all of these mandates reflect it, right? So we're at this extremely pivotal time in the fashion industry where it's just simply not optional anymore. Doing these practices, using these linear materials is not just simply not going to be the future. And the way that we move forward is by investing in, in some of the technologies that we're mentioning about, but more importantly for me, the deep tech companies, the hard tech companies that have really great innovations that can create scalable change. Um, that's my plug for we're fundraising. So if you want to get involved, please come talk to me. Yeah. Amazing. And my final thought is if we're going to decarbonize you know, our planet, we need to look at this massive industry. It's not just the clothes. It's what's in our home. It's in office buildings, theaters, in our cars, everywhere. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money and Meaning. 
If you are inspired by the conversation and are interested in getting more involved with SOCAP Global, join us at SOCAP 23 in October. As a podcast listener, you can save $50 off the current ticket price with the code MONEYMEANING23. That's all caps M O N E Y M E A N I N G 23. Register at socapglobal.com. We look forward to seeing you in October. Be sure to subscribe to Money and Meaning whatever you get your podcasts to be notified of our next episode's release.